Welcome to another edition of Not Your Father's Data Center. I am your host, Raymond Hawkins, and today we are joined by the CEO and founder of Speed Data, um, Jonathan Friedman. Jonathan, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing very well. How are you doing today? I'm good. So to set everybody's expectations, I, like always, am in Dallas, Texas, here at uh, our headquarters. Jonathan, where are you joining us from? I'm located in Israel, in Netanya, not far away from Tel Aviv. All right. Netanya, just north of Tel Aviv. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. All right. Well, for those of you who don't know, our friends at Speed Data are in the processor business. Uh, we can do a little bit of homework and a little bit of uh, setup around computers and how they work. But before we get into that, uh, Jonathan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where'd you grow up? Where were you born? Where were you into school? Give us a little bit of the, the history of Jonathan Friedman and how you, how you got into uh, deciding to found your own processor business. Sure. First of all, let me thank you for having me on your, uh, uh, your podcast. Uh, it's great to be here. Glad to have you. Looking back at that, uh, I grew up in Israel uh, like a standard Israeli kid. Um, I will say that uh, my father is a professor of law, and uh, as such, he, he was going on sabbatical every three to four years. So I, I, I had the privilege of, of, of seeing the world as a child. Uh, I've been in England and a couple of times in the US and also in France actually visiting multiple places, so uh, had a great journey as a, as a kid. Um, so go, after that, um, I went studying in Israel, uh, electric, basically electrical engineering, doing first, second, and, and, uh, and a PhD in electrical engineering. Um, I'm a mathematical, logical person, so I uh, digged uh, deeply into that. Um, and then came out uh, to the semi, uh, actually to the Israeli high-tech world. Uh, and right away, I got hooked up uh, by the semiconductor business. And I've been doing semiconductors for all my professional life. So we can call you Dr. Friedman if we want the rest of the show. Is that right? <laughs> we could. <laughs> okay, we'll stick. We'll stick with Jonathan. All right, you said you got out to multiple trips around the world and, and got to visit lots of places. You said you went to the U.S. a couple times. Give us a couple U.S. either highlights or lowlights places in the U.S. you either loved or are glad you don't have to live in. So, so my father was a professor at Harvard, uh, a visiting professor in Harvard. So I was in Boston for a year. Uh, uh, I'd say. Uh, I, I was quite small. I was seven years old. My deepest uh, memory from that time is just freezing, uh, coming back from school, uh, hardly being able to lace my shoes. Uh, so, so that was a pretty bad memory from uh, Boston. Uh, yeah, Boston winners, best Boston winners are not like Israel winners, that's for sure. <laughs> the second time, I was already a sophomore in, uh, in high school. Um, I'll tell you two things about that. First of all, I was uh, already then a Philly, uh, a Philly fan. Um, so that was the last year Dr. J played and I got to see him. That was, uh, that was really a great year for me. And I got actually to see uh, my mother was uh, working at a hospital where they, uh, um, Charles Barkley had some sort of injury. And I got to meet him, and I don't know, his arm was like the size of my whole body. Uh, but that was really one of the uh, 
greatest things I remember from uh, being a sophomore, a sophomore in Philadelphia. All right, Jonathan, we are going to go totally off script here because you, for, for, for people who, who listen to our podcast regularly, know that that uh, I enjoy sports a good bit. And you've brought up two things. First of all, uh, don't don't often get a Julius Irving reference while talking about um, uh, the, the microprocessor business. Number one. Number two, um, Charles Barkley and I went to school together. So I am going to grab my camera and see if we see if we can get this. And I know they're going to yell at me when they produce this. Can you see that poster up there on the wall? That's Charles Barkley signed poster in my office. He and wow. I went to school together. So uh, I'm going to get yelled at for moving that camera. But hey, it's my show. So <laughs> I got to tell you, me bad when he left Philly. Uh, Oh, the 76ers, I, I could not take it at that time. Yeah, yeah. He, he I mean, for those of us who that remember Chuck, Chuck was a 76er. That's who he was in the NBA and the whole Arizona thing. And, you know, you just identify with him as a, as a forward of the 76ers. And you're right. Chuck is not only a bigger than life personality, but he's just physically a big guy. So great, great, great to have a uh, great to have references to my friend Charles Barkley on uh on a, on a show about um, uh, processors, good stuff. Well, good. Well, great to hear about your 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 time here in the states and uh, your visits. Uh, was your dad was on sabbatical? Pretty pretty interesting stuff. All right, so so you you get a electrical engineering degree and you dive. Uh, I know there's um, for those of us in the in the in the U.S. don't have probably the appropriate appreciation for how big. Um, the tech business is in Israel. Uh, you know, we think of Silicon Valley out here in the Bay Area, but there's a very similar, um, you know, uh, gravitational pull there in Israel around technology. Is that is that correct? Yeah, de definitely. I would say that uh, when you look into Israel, which is a much smaller country uh, than, uh, than the U.S., and uh, probably the per capita engineers and in high tech, uh, it's much more concentrated and intensive. Uh, and, and, and it's also something that uh, Israel is, is so proud about. Uh, so it's, uh, it's constantly on the news and everybody talks about it. And like that's the uh, Jewish mother, that's what uh, it used to be. Uh, they want uh, their kids to be doctors and lawyers and now it's high tech. Uh, doctors, lawyers, and now electrical engineers. <laughs> Got it. All right. Very good. All right. So, so you get in the, the um, degree in electrical engineering, you get in the tech business. Do you start right off in the processor business or did you do any other things? Um, so actually, uh, my PhD is in signal processing uh, when it used to be uh, uh, um, a very important uh, part of electrical engineering. It still is, but I guess most of the innovation of uh, has switched from that area. So uh, even if you look at Israeli high tech, the first decade of the 2000s was all about communications. And that's what I've been doing in the first uh, decade. Uh, and there was a lot of innovations around communication. Uh, I was part of, uh, together with one of our co-founders, which is our chairman, Dan Cherish, I was uh, part of a company called uh, Provigent, which developed actually uh, uh, not only communication, SOC communication chip, but also an accelerator, uh, uh, a high-speed modem for cellular infrastructure. Uh, the company became a, a global leader in its market, selling to nine out of the 10 biggest OEMs. Uh, actually, even today, I think one third of the world's uh, cellular users are going through Provigent's chips. 
Uh, we were finally acquired by Broadcom in one of Israel's largest acquisitions at the time in 2011. Uh, so, so that part of my life I've been doing uh, communicate, com communication, accelerating communications. Uh, and after that, uh, I started looking uh, into other workloads to accelerate and what, what additional things can be done in the high-tech. Uh, with the whole Israeli high-tech, I, I, uh, I made a switch uh, to, to processors, and, and I've been doing processors for the last eight or nine years of my professional life. So I would guessing after the sale, uh, you, you and Dan spent a little bit of time in the south of France uh, counting your money and then decided, hey, let's get back in and make, in, make a living. Very good. Good stuff. All right. Awesome. So now we're in the processor business. So, so before we get too deep in the processor business, I do want to set the stage a little bit for our listeners because I think we're going to get, you know, especially as, as we talk about what you guys build specifically. So, so when, we, um, when we think about a computer, right, there are a few devices, right? There's input, output, your keyboard, your monitor your printer, I.O. devices. There's memory, right, where your computer works on stuff uh, immediately in its purview, the, the, the active where an application runs. There's storage, uh, where you write your, 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 your information after you're done working on it. And then there's a processor that talks to all of those devices and collaborates between all of those devices. There's some other stuff, but at a high level, uh, that's what we're doing, right? We got I/O, we got storage, and we got memory. And 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 playing quarterback for all of that is a central processing unit, which I think most of us are comfortable with. As computers have grown and advanced, there's all kinds of um, extra layers of microprocessors that do things to help the CPU and to help uh, specific specifically um, do parts of the tasks that the CPU may might take more time to do. The CPU is more of a general uh, processing function, and there are um, processors that are built to do very specific tasks. And that's what we're here to talk about today, is processors that do very specific tasks, not the central processing unit, but processors that do very specific workloads, often referred to as accelerators. Is that a fairly um, useful, high-level description uh, um, of what we're of what what you guys do and how you fit in the in the picture, Jonathan? Yes, uh, let me uh, definitely let me just add a, a few more things around that. So uh, your description uh, is, is is actually was a very good description of of computers, but but mainly around uh, home computers and PCs. Yeah, personal. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'll add to that that uh, everybody's talking today about uh, um, the growth of data and the cliche that data is the new oil. And, and really, data is growing at a huge rate. And when you look at what our com uh, commercial applications are trying to do, so instead of having uh, a personal computer at home, they would have what's typically called a server, uh, uh, which is essentially a very similar to a home PC, but maybe a little bit stronger in, in its capabilities. And uh, and and then you, when you look at what happened in maybe the last decade. Uh, two extremely important trends which everybody's familiar with, uh, at least in the tech business, uh, the growth of data, uh, the, the, actually the explosion of data, data is today growing uh, approximately doubling every two years, uh, really exponential growth on the one hand. And then on the other hand, uh, uh, you would have uh, the general purpose processors uh, uh, Progressing, but not at the rate they used to. So there used to be something called Moore's law, 
in which uh, the processors are uh, able, uh, let's say, in common language, the processors would be faster, give better performance, double its performance every year and a half. Uh, you can argue whether what exactly is the state of that Moore's law, but that definitely does not happen today. I would approximate that uh, general-purpose processors are improving by approximately five percent every year now. So these two trends uh, cause a huge gap, uh, which actually uh, boosted the uh, the whole industry to uh, one solution after another. Uh, it first came. Uh, uh, with the process of companies uh, 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 building what's called a multi-core solution. So instead of having a single uh, processor, they would put multiple, what they call cores, on a single chip, and essentially putting multiple CPUs on a single chip, um, and thus giving boosting performance. And then the next step was what today is called uh, data centers. So you would want to, you have suddenly a, a big problem, Unlike, a pro typically not a problem you would have at home, but a, a problem that a company wants to solve. They want to uh, extract information from data, and maybe we, we can give a few example, examples for that later. Uh, and then suddenly a single server, a single chip, uh, it takes it too long to, to, to process and, and solve that problem. So instead of, uh, 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 so the next step would be, okay, why take a single chip? Let's take two of them, let's take four of them and connect them together so they would have communications. Uh, they can communicate between one another. And if the problem can be parallelized in some way, uh, you would gain hopefully close to, if you have four processors, uh, four times performance. And this, these are essentially data centers, right? And today, uh, I would say there are um, uh, there are probably hundreds and thousands of companies which are using clusters of hundreds and thousands of nodes. Nodes is a server uh, to solve the, the or process the, 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 the problem they want to. Uh, so, so, so just adding to your description, uh, today we are talking about uh, not only what you are uh, uh, you described as a single server, but you have on top of that a full system, which is called a data center, and multiple server uh, talking to one another and communicating with one another uh, in order to solve the problem. Yeah, Jonathan, I appreciate you expanding because, yes, with, without a doubt, you're trying to get folks to get their arms around a single computer and how that extrapolates out into servers and nodes and then whole, whole arrays of compute that are solving, uh, you know, large complex problems and taking up buildings worth of compute. It, it, can, I, can I get us to take one quick detour? I love that you referenced Moore's Law um, as a guy who got to grow up in technology. So I started getting paid to work in the tech business in the 80s as painful as it is for me to admit that now. Uh, hard to imagine that was four decades ago. Um, and, and living through watching Moore's Law deliver additional compute every 12 to 18 months as an electrical engineer, you're going to understand this so much better than I do. Why do you think that we, because I agree with you, Moore's Law doesn't really apply anymore. We're, we're not seeing that, you know, we used to talk about that that drive, that, that tech refresh, because processors had taken such a leap in a two-year period, everybody needed to do a refresh. What's caused that, um, the, the reality in the processor business to, the, the, that Moore's Law no longer applies? Why don't we make those 100% um, uh, 
capability improvements every 12, 18, 24 months? What, what's changed? So the, there are two main drivers for Moore's law. One relate to the process, mainly how you manufacture uh, the chips, and one relates to architecture improvements. Uh, the, the first one, which is the dominant one, actually, uh, as time went by, uh, we, um, uh, the transistors from which uh, that are the building blocks for the chips uh, became, smaller, uh, became smaller and smaller, and essentially uh, we're able to work faster in a higher frequency uh, within, with one generation to another. Uh, and that by itself, without giving without making the processor any better, uh, gave a lot of performance boost. Uh, we are now uh, approaching, first of all, uh, moving from one process to another becomes uh, technically uh, very, um, very complex. Transistors are made of very few atoms already uh, and, and making them smaller uh, becomes a very complex uh, thing to do. And furthermore, now that we have gone down to uh, such high frequencies, uh, there are multiple other things that do not allow the frequency to go higher. So that essentially is, is, is very, there, there's no growth in frequency any, hardly anymore. Uh, the architecture, we, um, general purpose processors have been developed, uh, uh, been developed for three or four decades now. And I'd say all the low hanging fruit of improving uh, processors are, are already used, uh, and it's not clear how much progress uh, can be made. And it's really, I think, in some sense, not that important for the moment because it is clear nothing can, nothing going through that channel can compete with the growth of data. And it, it's not just the growth of data uh, today. Uh, the Humanity today is capable of extracting information from the data uh, in really uh, fantastic ways and, and very different from what we used to be able. Uh, so, so there's a, a huge need uh, for processing that data. We actually, let me give you just an example of, uh, we are talking, uh, one of our customers is global ad tech company. Uh, and they actually are telling us that they can connect between their revenue, which is uh, essentially the revenue is built of how good they can connect users uh, um, and, 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 and ads that they want to give, uh, how good they can, can make that correlation between the right user to the right uh, ad. And the more uh, processing power they, give, uh, they have, actually they tell us that Every time they double the processing power, they get uh, they 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 can correlate directly to revenues the ballpark of twenty to twenty five percent additional in revenues. So of course that makes sense only if you can double your compute without paying more than twenty more percent of the more, right right. Uh, but if, this is just an example from a revenue point of view. But of course, looking into what's happening in all the health industry, uh, uh, the uh, the ability to um, and analyze DNA uh, in, in ways which were not uh, possible just a few years ago. Uh, it's, it's, it's really can make tremendous things in the health industry. And we're still so far away 
from really being able to do all the processing that we want. Uh, so, so there's a huge hunger today to processing power. So Jonathan, let me see if I, if I can, in, in layperson, non-electrical engineer, PhD, um, speak, say where I, what I think is our setup. So, so we talk about, you know, we did this simple description of a personal computer. We extrapolate that out to a server, which is the same basic construct, but multiple processors and more capabilities. But we've, we've run the processor as fast as we can, right? The, everybody thinks about to date myself, megahertz, now gigahertz, clock speed on the processor. We've run that as fast as we can. We've made the processors as small as we can make them. There's minimal gain now to be able to, to, to get smaller processors. We've crammed as many of those processors on a single, uh, so, so we've got multi-core processors on a single wafer now. So we've done all the things we can do in the CPU portion of the compute world. And now what we're trying to do is, hey, how do we get more compute power? Hey, let's do, um, processors that are doing specific tasks to help the CPU. And that's how we get to this accelerator world, this world that speed data, as you just gave a customer example, hey, if I can, um, with greater compute power, not necessarily more out of my central processing unit, but if I can get greater compute power to match up my ads with my with the appropriate customer, that's a better fit. The better fit my customer will pay more for, the greater compute power I can have to make that better fit, the more revenue I can make. So there's a real business reason for being able to compute either more efficiently, faster, uh, uh, more specific kinds of problems. And that leads us to this world of a whole nother family of processors which is the business you guys are in today, correct? Exactly. When you look at general purpose uh, processors, uh, a lot of the silicon, the power, uh, is spent on being general purpose. So they have to bring in an instruction. They have to uh, decode it, understand what it has to do. Uh, then they have to uh, configure the execution unit in order uh, to, to do what the, the instruction has told it to do. Uh, and later on, they have to execute it. So actually, when you look from silicon or from power uh, uh, point of view, uh, I would say anywhere between five, uh, possibly 10% is, is, is about the execution itself. Uh, the rest of it is just for being generic. And then if you are willing to work on a specific workload and not, uh, you would be able to gain a lot from from not from okay i don't care I, I won't be general purpose i won't let any instruction come into me i have specific things i know to do and these things i know to do extremely well uh then i can build an architecture which is very adapted to that specific workload and i can do things which are essentially orders of magnitude better when you look into uh CD, the, Sorry. Yeah. So, so you don't need the overhead that the GPU does to, to understand the instruction, to deconstruct it, to, to translate it, to put it in execution mode. You take all of that overhead out uh, and let it get handled by general purpose. You just go, hey, I'm as I, as I like to think about an expert is somebody who knows more and more about less and less. So your processors are experts at specific app, uh, specific uh, requests. Exactly. I think the, a nice analogy to that is, uh, is the difference between a chef and a cookie cutter, okay? So the chef can do anything you like, or he's going to do it very good. Uh, but if you want to have, uh, you want to make a lot of cookies, uh, and that's the only thing you want to do, or possibly you want to do enough cookies 
and you do you do not want to put the chef on it because he he's going to work per cookie a lot of time you're going to take a cookie cutter and that's going to do uh the job uh substantially more efficiently than a chef all right i'm stealing that jonathan chef and cookie cutter that's a good that's a good word picture i like that yeah yeah okay all right so we're into cookie cutter processors at speed data that was a lot of setup so tell us what you guys do tell us what your processors are specifically and, and if you would i think when people think about specialty processors i think people think about video accelerators right that's popular in the gaming space uh they think about um you know uh mathematical what do we call those um the the, yeah. the yeah, those math chips, we, I think those are ones that are people are familiar with. Tell us what Speed Data is doing and how you fit in that uh, stack of specialty processors. So I'll first give, you just gave an example, Alexander, for a second. You look at AI accelerators. Uh, essentially, AI is multiplying uh, floating point matrices and doing that extremely efficient, efficiently, relating to a cookie cutter. That's what they do. You look at these accelerator accelerators, they do it extremely efficiently. Uh, speed data is looking at another workload, which is uh, arguably uh, the biggest workload in the data center today. That is databases and analytics. Uh, essentially, uh, you have a database and, and, and uh, multiple industries uh, hold their information in databases, and then they want to uh, extract information from it. Uh, and, and you look at the uh, public clouds, they are giving multiple services, managed services to handle that. And you look at the biggest and most important uh, managed services in the world, uh, you would find that they are all databases and analytics. I will mention a few of them. Redshift by AWS, which is probably the biggest uh, managed service in the world today. Uh, BigQuery uh, by Google, that's an analytical tool. Uh, uh, SQL Server, which is not only a, a managed service, but also an on-prem tool, which is probably the biggest tool that uh, uh, Microsoft has. Uh, Oracle, their main business is databases and, and analytics, and it's all over Snowflake, Databricks, uh, and uh, you, you, all the big tech companies in, uh, in the world today, uh, that's their biggest managed services. Uh, that's what they do. So we uh, actually looked into that. Uh, workload and, and designed uh, a chip from uh, ground up uh, to target this specific work, workload, uh, which actually today is completely dominated uh, by CPUs. So uh, processing today is done, 99% uh, of that workload is done by uh, CPUs, very different from, from the uh, revolution which happened in the AI. So hold on a second, Jonathan. 99% of big data processing is being done by the general purpose CPU? So, so big data is a big word. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would say you, you, you look at what happened in the last uh, five years, the AI revolution, uh, you would find that uh, five years ago, with the AI just began, it was done in CPUs. You look at uh, AI in the data center today, uh, it's completely controlled by the GPUs. Uh, gotcha. So they have the revolution there, the first wave of acceleration, and actually there is a big war war there between uh, for a second wave of acceleration between uh, multiple companies who are trying to do AI accelerations on top of the GPU. You look at what happens in the analytics and databases. Uh, the first revolution did not happen yet. 
Uh, the, the uh, gotcha. analytics is still completely controlled uh, by CPUs uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, the main reason I would say that uh, the hardware which was on the table uh, during the AI revolution, namely uh, the GPU, is simply not a good fit uh, for analytics. And uh, and then the world is waiting for a grand solution for that. So, so Jonathan, just to relate it back to names that people can get, that GPU business, I think of NVIDIA. Who else is in that space that names people would recognize? So, so GPUs, AMD also has a GPU, but but that their main focus in GPU is graphics. So in AI GPU, it's basically NVIDIA. There are uh, uh, two candidates, uh, AMD and, and now Intel is also uh, coming out with their own GPU, but uh, NVIDIA is the king of AI today in the data center. Right, right. And so so as you talk about that first revolution, we think about that happened with NVIDIA GPUs um, in that AI space, and your uh, business is trying to capture that wave in the analytics space. Is that a good way to parallel it? Exactly. We, we, we would actually claim that this work, so our opportunity is as big as NVIDIA's opportunity. Uh, it's Maybe actually, bigger. Yeah, exactly. From a workload point of view, uh, it's bigger, and you look at what and, and, and Nvidia is doing multiple things, but uh, I believe more than fifty percent of its revenues come from AI to data center. So really, we have a huge opportunity here uh, to build an, uh, a huge Israeli semiconductor company, and that's a big dream. Yeah, that's a, I, that, that is a great setup, and I appreciate you taking you know, time to walk us through. This is just understanding why um, speed data matters and where it fits in the problem and how the problem gets set up. This has been really, 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 really helpful. We get asked a lot in the data center business, right? We, we build buildings where all of this takes place, and we get asked a lot, oh, you're, you're not going to need any more buildings, right? Computers are getting smaller and faster. This is, you know, why do you need to keep building buildings? You know, aren't you worried about the future of your industry? And, and I always give the exact same thing you did. I said, you know, folks, I don't think realize um, the speed at which our data is growing, right? And and there's lots of studies and there's lots of numbers, but I think it's safe to say all the data in the world doubles about every 24 months. So that means that at the, at the end of 2024, all the data we have today, will have twice as much of it in, in two years. Uh, and and so, so there's just so many things that are causing people to write data. And the, the thing that we love to say here, people don't delete their ones and zeros. Uh, they want to keep that data. They want to look at that data. Heavens to, they want to replicate that data. They want copies of it so they can slice it and dice it and look at it. And and, and how you dig into that data, um, having the data is not that interesting. What the data tells you and what you can do by going and looking at it. And when I think about speed data, that's what you're saying is, hey, let me go dig into your data. Let me go dig into that SQL and that database and let's go find out what's in there and what can you learn from it. Exactly. Really, the uh, data is really growing in a staggering rate. I actually met a company just a few weeks ago uh, that generates uh, synthetic data. Uh, and that's, uh, again, for uh, in, in order to make better analysis. And they're, they're synthetically generating data, which uh, it, they, it used to be take months to generate, and they, they now generate it in hours. So, so really, I, uh, it's not just people working around and taking uh, photographs or stuff like that. Data is already generated by computers. Uh, I do not see that stop, definitely not in the near future. And what speed data is doing essentially 
is building, uh, we're, we like to say that we are the plumbers, we are actually uh, just building the tools and, and, and making the pipes wider and allowing uh, for other uh, very smart companies uh, to extract information from the data they have and just letting them uh, or giving them the tools and the ability uh, to do that. Gotcha. Yeah. So, 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 speed data's job really to be the infrastructure uh, a, a layer that that applications would sit on top of and go, hey, I'm going to get this data to you and present it in such a way faster than you can get it if you had to go through that central processing unit. And now you have it and it's available. Now you can do things with it because it's here faster and 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 um, consumable for your application in a way that's useful. Exactly. Yeah. Fascinating. So, 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 does this business, um, Jonathan, end up? Because, because I think about, I watch the Nvidia business and the GPU business, right? And it, and it started on a card. And, and you mentioned, I don't know, remember if it was early in this call or in another call we had, where you, a lot of what you deliver is actually on a card. That that's how the GPU business started, right? You just added that accelerator into your compute environment. Is that how this business is? That is that the? And, and I say that was the start. And now you can buy entire racks of GPUs, right? Not just a card, but a whole system that is an array of GPUs. Is, is that where this is headed? Uh, yes, definitely. So uh, um, we are actually building uh, cards and these cards could, could be, these are, I'll say, uh, these are standard cards with standard interface. It's called the PCIe interface. Uh, and they would be, would fit in, in, in the vast amount of, of existing servers. So you can simply add them up to either existing or new servers and, and then to multiple racks of servers. And, and essentially in that sense, you were talking about, uh, we are actually uh, fighting both uh, uh, power consumption and, and the growth in size of the data center. You would add our cars inside these racks and essentially get uh, an, between an order of magnitude to two orders of magnitude uh, improvement in performance uh, without paying in space, okay? And with uh, uh, basically moving your performance to power or performance to cost or performance to space by an order of magnitude. So, so that is one uh, consideration I'd, lo I'd love for you to talk about a little bit. That when, when we have racks of GPUs, um, they, they eat a bunch of energy. And, and in the data center business, how much electricity is in a rack, um, what, what, how many kilowatts we run through a certain rack, how much heat that rack produces, how much heat we have to reject then to operate the data center matters. Um, tell me fr from your perspective, speed data's um, you know, analytic processors, uh, how are they on power consumption? I love the, the space savings, but how are they on power consumption? Our PCIe card would, be, would give uh, anywhere between a multiple of 20 and a multiple of 100 in terms of performance uh, to what? Um, again, in some sense, similar to what NVIDIA has done in AI compared to the CPU, okay? So okay. It's, when, when you look at CPUs uh, or, or any kind of processor, it typically... Uh, not always, but typically uh, it's not a big deal to get more performance if you double the power, okay? I'll take two CPUs uh, and get approximately double performance, uh, but also double power. So, so there's not much benefit uh, in getting a lot of performance without improving power. Again, since, since we save, as I mentioned earlier, uh, probably 85% or 90% of what's in a standard general purpose processor, uh, so we're not doing all the activities 
as the general purpose processor is doing. So we're saving huge amounts of, of power. And we're actually and doing, uh, and, and being able to do uh, the same thing uh, with, with much smaller power and in much higher speeds. And, and you gave the number, depending on the application, 20 to 100x uh, the, the, the um, speed of the analysis running through an, an APU than just through a general purpose. Yes, we're actually working with multiple customers, and, 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 and it depends on, on the workload, what exactly you're doing, uh, and also actually on the data itself. Uh, so depending on the exact uh, case, we're anywhere between multiple 20 and 100. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, this has been a super uh, helpful understanding of, of what accelerators and special processors do. Give us, if you would, uh, a few minutes on Speed Data's roadmap. Uh, you, you guys are a couple years old, if I, if I remember right. Uh, you, you've raised a good bit of funding. Where are you at in the roadmap? Where are you headed? What, what does the future look like? Tell us, tell us where you are and where you're headed. Okay, so uh, our company is three years, three years old, and uh, we are currently uh, working with uh, multiple uh, big high-tech companies in the world uh, to make sure that we uh, can accommodate all their requirements to our chip. We expect to have our chip uh, within several quarters, and with, uh, with that chip, we'll put it on a PCIe card and basically deliver it uh, to the uh, customers we're currently working with. So PCIe first, uh, do you see getting to the point where there are um, speed data arrays, for lack of a better term, a whole solution that would map you know, a, a series of cards? Or is that on the roadmap? Uh, as I think of like a, a, an NVIDIA box that does all kinds of acceleration. So I think we, we have multiple options. We have not decided on, on what, where, where the path would lead us to. Uh, on a first guess, uh, we are only today working with multiple OEMs. Uh, I do not see us as a first step making something like the DGX. So NVIDIA not only has the PCIe card, they have their own server. Uh, I don't think we'll do that uh, in our first steps. Uh, but definitely I can see us doing uh, a software around our solution uh, and, and, and looking into how we can help our customers uh, and make their life easier, uh, and not just not just giving the processors they, themselves, but uh, possibly uh, software layers to make their life easier in processing and, and, and extracting information from their data. Well, Jonathan, this has been super enlightening for me. I really, really appreciate uh, you know when uh, PhDs in electrical engineering can make um, guys like me who barely got out of college understand it. So I appreciate you going slow for me and helping me uh, follow along. Really, really fascinating hearing what Speed Data is doing, hearing what the technology industry in Israel is doing, and and hearing a little bit about your story. And, and we wish you guys all the success in the world for us at, at Compass, uh, we just want more of this, right? More data, more people succeeding, more people solving problems because that means that we need more data centers and uh, that, that at least makes it so I can uh, um, buy groceries for next week. So we appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. We'd love to have you here in Israel. Jonathan, the next on my next trip to Israel, I'm coming to, to Netanya and coming to see you. So thank, uh, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it.